Welcome to Humanly, the podcast searching for the truth about health and wellness. Here's your host, Daniel Reuters. Hi everyone, Daniel Reuters here from Humanly and today I'm joined by Dr. Jennifer Daniels. Welcome Dr. Daniels, thank you so much for taking the time to come and speak with me. You're welcome. I've been following your stuff for a couple of years now. Um, I originally saw you speaking with Dr. Andy Kaufman um, last year, and I follow his stuff really closely, and I've always been meaning to talk to you about how you view the body and your journey through health and medicine and some of the therapies that you use, and just to hear your perspective in general, because I think you've got a lot of great knowledge, and I'd love to learn from you. Okay. So, uh, what, yeah, where do we want to start? Well, um, maybe just a little bit of background about yourself. I know that some of my viewers have probably been um, exposed to some of your work because I share some of your stuff on my channel, um, but there may be some listeners who may not have ever seen you before or heard of you before. So if you give us a little background of yourself. Well, I was born in the United States. A lot of people find it hard to believe, but yes, I was born in the United States. And um, just to fast forward through all the gory details, I ended up uh, practicing medicine. And um, I made the decision that regardless of revenue, income, whatever, that I was going to go back to the same inner city neighborhood where I grew up and establish a medical practice. Um, I came from an entrepreneurial type background. So I had also in my mind figured out that this practice had to pay for itself. It had to pay its own expenses. I mean, if I had to take in laundry or whatever to feed the kids, that's another matter, but the practice had to cover its own expenses. So with that perspective then, I saw my customers as, uh, cust my, my patients rather, as customers with needs, and it was my obligation to provide them with value and leave them improved in some way. That was my premise. That's a very unusual premise for doctors in the United States. <laughs> I was going to say, it does sound a bit unusual. Yeah, the usual premise is, okay, I'm here, I'm following the standard of care, I'm doing as I'm told, I'm following orders, and let the bodies hit the floor. So that was not my perspective. Uh, if a body hit the floor, I saw myself as uh, a failure somehow, that, hey, did I contribute to that? Uh, what happened there? Could I have done better? So I was practicing medicine uh, in these circumstances, and I noticed that nobody was making progress with what I'd been taught to do in medical school. And I also was doing an audit. So at the end of every year or two, every year actually, I would do an audit, which would be a look back. And I would see, okay, who died? What could I have done better? How could I have been of greater help? Was there anything I could have done to have a better outcome? And I was absolutely devastated, it was around year two, when I realized the pattern that 100% of my patients who died were fully medicated, 100% compliant, had seen, had seen at least one specialist who reviewed and approved their care. And all of my patients, without exception, who were non-compliant, difficult, skipped appointments, didn't take their medicines, no, no deaths, no deaths in that group. <laughs> I said, hmm. Funny that, hey? Oh my God, well, you can imagine. I had to sit down when I, not only got to sit down, but I spent months of sleepless nights tossing and turning, tossing and turning, because mm. I was getting paid, uh, this is the 90s now, and I was earning uh, 200,000 a year after expenses. 
And is this recently after you graduated? No, I had a very uh, circuitous path. So the government paid for my education, and in exchange, I agreed to work in an area that they couldn't even pay doctors to work in, if you can imagine. In other words, it was an area where they could say the doctor will pay you this much money, and the doctors would say no. In other words, for no amount of money could they get doctors to work in this area. So, right. So they figured what they would do is students up front who could see that they could not afford medical school and they could not afford the loans, they would pick those students and say, hey, we'll cover your expenses if you'll work in this area. And by the way, of course, you'll get paid as well. And so, you know, these are just amazing places you wouldn't even imagine existed in the United States. Like you turn the faucet on, the water comes out brown, you know, stuff like that. Okay. Yeah. (laughs) It's like country, country service, is it? Like you're in the middle of the sticks? You can say that, but really, it's like a third world country in the middle of the states. Wow. Right. Because you kind of presume, okay, you're paying taxes, you're doing this, you're doing that. The least the government's going to provide is clear water out the faucet. No. Uh, and the roads, of course, there weren't those either. So just one thing after another. But it was these conditions. And, of course, they couldn't, like I said, get a doctor to voluntarily go there. All right. So I, I uh, started out doing that, and I learned a lot there about uh having partners, not having partners, taking call, not taking call. So all this I incorporate into my practice. But anyway, once I realized that deaths were exclusively among the compliant, I said, okay. And then I had this income, right? 200,000 a year, didn't want to give that up. So I said, okay, compromise, compromise. And I'm gonna tell you, I had sleepless nights for three months. I said, okay, here's a compromise. I'm gonna tell every patient, look, I went to medical school, got a license. This is a standard of care. You can do this if you want to. Not saying you should, not saying you shouldn't. You can do it if you want to. But you can also not do it. Or you can change your diet. You can change this lifestyle or that lifestyle. And by the way, if you decide to do the standard of care, if at any point you're feeling worse, if at any point you think it's not really helping, you can stop it. Just stop it. Let me know, and I'll suggest maybe a replacement or whatever, but you are under no obligation to take any therapy that makes you in any way uncomfortable. So there were still people who picked the standard of care, but the death rate in the medical practice went to zero. Zero. It's kind of of weird that the um, compliant were getting sick because you'd think it would be the other way around, that the non-compliant would be getting sick. If the medicine That's only what I was told right? in medical school, yeah. So then I realized, and I'm not the brightest bulb in the pantry, I don't think, but I realized, I said, whoa, whoa, could it be, could it be that what I was taught to do in medical school is actually exterminating people on a slow kill schedule? Is that possibly what I've been trained to do? I was like, oh my God, it's terrible. Scary but since I had got my death rate down to zero, I figured ethically I could continue to earn this 200000 a year. <laughs> yeah. Also, what happened over time, uh, as I gave people this instruction, fewer and fewer and fewer and fewer of my patients were on drugs, and the number requiring hospitalization also became fewer and fewer and fewer. So I realized then that the hospitalizations were being generated by the standard of care, making people sicker. Well, you can imagine this time I had to lay down. I said, oh, my goodness. 
<laughs> now what am I gonna do? <laughs> wow, that's a big revelation. And probably not oh, many doctors terrible. ever come to that conclusion, do they? And then you've got these golden handcuffs, right? Earning all this money. Yeah. <laughs> so uh, by the time things fell apart, uh, I was writing less than one, I was writing prescriptions for fewer than one page, one patient a day. Wow. And I was not initiating any new prescriptions. I was just continuing people who had decided they wanted to keep taking their other all prescriptions. Now, still, I would say to people, now, here's a prescription for drugs. You can get these filled, but first, try this. Try this little dietary change. And if it doesn't work, start these drugs. And I would also give people samples to, you know, try whatever. People were coming back to me. They were returning the samples I gave them, saying, you know what, I'm great, I'm doing fine, this is wonderful, thank you so much for here. Give these samples to someone else who needs them. Oh, thank you, thank you. And even more, just mind-blowing, is people were going and getting their prescriptions filled, not taking them, but bringing them back to me and saying, give these to people who don't have money to get them because my insurance pays for this. And I was like, That's wow. crazy. Your, pa yeah. your patients are bringing their medicine back to you because I didn't need it. Exactly. So now I, I, my practice was basically a drug-free practice because people just weren't taking the drugs, weren't needing the drugs. And I noticed no one needed to go to the hospital either. No hospital use. So I started getting um, calls from the hospital asking me where my patients were going and offering me a bribe if I would send my patients to their hospital. I said, oh my gosh, you're my favorite hospital. I would never send my patients anywhere else. They're just so healthy. They don't need to be in the hospital. Oh, click. And then I got uh, a phone calls from insurance companies uh, actually threatening me and saying, we want you to sign up for our plan. We're losing patients. People are refusing to buy our insurance because you're not on our insurance plan. I said, well, you know, your insurance plan uh, I read your contract and it basically says that you're not going to pay me. So, <laughs> you know, I'm not in a position to sign this. Yeah. And a few more menacing words and they hung up on me. And so I was feeling a little uncomfortable. And then the drug reps started coming in. Usually, they, they, I mean, they remembered my kids' birthdays. They did the shopping for their gifts. I didn't even have to go to the store. I just bought the gifts home. My kids thought I was a hero. <laughs> and so these drug reps, started coming in and menacing me and demanding to know what was wrong and why my patients were not using their drugs. Of course, I was writing the scripts. Of course, I was giving out sips. But people were coming back saying, hey, we don't need that. The extra glasses of water you told me to drink did just fine. So when, I, when the drug reps came to my office and started threatening me, I realized that all these years, the drug companies were really running the show and I was actually a uh, nominal employee of the drug companies. In other words, they wrote the curriculum in medical school, and the drug rep's real position was my supervisor. I mean, that this drug rep felt so confident to walk into my office and treat me in a way that under ordinary circumstances, I would call the police, right? <laughs> like, whoa! <laughs> I, own the, I own the land, I own the building, and you're coming into my property and talking to me like this? Police, security, security. Yeah. <laughs> but, you know, I got through the situation, the person left, and I was a little shaken up. I was like, whoa, that's, that's really heavy. 
So uh, long story short, the system realized I was not a, re a regular doctor. I was not doing what doctors ought to do. And what the public doesn't understand is you have something called the healthcare dollar. And if you follow the standard of care, the doctor gets 20% of that, the hospital gets 20%, the insurance company keeps 20% and so on. So it's, it's divvied up. If the doctor is not following the standard of care, those percentages get skewed. So in other words, they know I have an office. They know my office is open. So they know X dollars of drugs prescriptions should be written every month, right? They know X amount of hospitalization should be generated every month. And if the drug companies, by the way, they buy the data from the drug stores. So they know exactly who gets what filled and who writes for what. So this lack of privacy, your doctor has no privacy. So your doctor can't just kind of let you slide, right? Because he's under surveillance. All right. So they realize the drug part, which should be 20%, was zero. They realize the hospital, which should be 20%, was zero. And so you develop this coalition. And the insurance companies, of course, were, were, were like, whoa. Because one of my employees owned 30 McDonald's stores. 30. This guy was like, his wife happened to come in one day only to find her insurance was not accepted and she had to dig into her private allowance to pay for my office visit. Well, she went home and ripped her husband a new one. He said, okay, fine. None of my, none of my McDonald's can accept any insurance that won't pay Dr. Daniels because it was a company-wide policy decision. Well, the health insurance company has lost millions of dollars like that. Wow. So, right. So there were, so now I had these menacing phone calls. So, the, the drug companies weren't getting paid, the hospital wasn't getting paid, the insurance companies weren't getting paid, and it was just this real avalanche. Say nothing of the fact that since I lived in the ghetto, and my practice was in the ghetto, I looked around and said, oh my God, people are getting killed, this is not good. So I shut down a few drug dens, and the murder rate went to zero. Wow. Well, that couldn't be tolerated, right? Because then what happens? Well, then the folks in the suburbs say, whoa, 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 that's a safe place to live, it's one-fourth the cost, I'm moving. And of course, prices and the better neighborhoods would fall because people live in better neighborhoods because they're trying to escape things like crime and blah, blah, blah. So I cleaned up the neighborhood where it was looking pretty suburban. You know, the streets were clean, houses were well repaired, um, you know, wasn't any drug violence. You know, it was great. Kids in the suburbs even came with their skateboards to skate on our sidewalks. They were so smooth. Wow. So then, uh, you know, obviously, how could you not notice, right? So, uh, then things happened, one thing led to another, and the final uh, standoff was the government said, hey, we want you to re release to us all 5,000 of your patient records, just so we can take a look. You can imagine who was coming to see me, right? Dissidents, political uh, <laughs> outsiders, yeah. activists, I mean, uh, millionaire businessmen who just wanted privacy. I'm like, whoa. I'm going to wrap these people up who've been supporting me so well for these years. Yep. So if I betray them, what are you guys going to give me? I mean, just say it. And they said, well, you know, we're just going to let you practice a little longer. And you have to agree to go back to standard of care only. I'm like, uh, that deal does not work for me. <laughs> and so uh, I lost my medical license. Fine. And at the time, you know, my supporters, my, my patients. They're like, oh, this is just terrible. You know, even my white patients said, oh, it's racism, it's racism. <laughs> really? 
the drug companies are losing 40,000 a year just on little old me. This person's losing 40,000 a year. That person's losing 40,000 a year. I just accidentally interfered with a $30 million bank robbery where it was the government I didn't realize robbing the bank. So, yeah. (laughs) I've made a total mess of everything, not realizing (laughs) it, just trying to do the right thing. Yeah. And um, so one thing led to another, and the same thing that happened to the truckers happened to me, right? I wasn't allowed to work. I wasn't allowed to bank. I wasn't allowed to travel. All these restrictions were placed on me. And you can imagine, that was just a shock, right? To go from being a doctor, earning that kind of money, you know, respected by quite a few people, and to basically being busted down to less than a high school dropout Mm. in terms of my choices and options. And um, I had lots of friends and they, they tried to help me. And one friend was especially helpful and uh, he invited me and my kids over to, uh, for dinner and his wife had cooked this wonderful dinner and he said to me, uh, we have to go in the kitchen and talk. I said, oh, okay. <laughs> See, and he was, um, he was not American. He was from another country where they were constantly having wars. And there's a lot of poverty and people got killed all the time. He said, Jennifer, you know, it's over, it's over. You've got to leave the country. It's not safe for you to stay here anymore. Hmm. When something like this happens, it's, there's just no going back. Hmm. I said, of course, at this time, things were really bad for me. And I said, well, where, where should I go? He says, well, you should go to Central, Central or South America. That's where you should go. Uh, the only hazard is that you're a single woman and, uh, you know, it's pretty dangerous. But other than that, it's not a problem. I said, oh, okay. And so I started shopping for countries and ended up in Central America, and this worked out pretty well. Now, when I landed, so when the government first when I got their attention or came to their attention, I had a net worth of $760,000. By the time I figured out, I got to get out of here, my net worth was negative $270,000. Legal fees, this is and that, no income, supporting the kids, whatever. So I landed in this foreign land with basically no resources. And so I said to myself, hey, wait a minute, wait a minute. I got to, entrepreneurial picking in, figure out what value I have to give to the world. What can I give to the world that will be of so much value to them? I mean, obviously I'm doomed, right? It's over, (laughs) these things happen. But the least I could do, I'm my way out the door, my way to the grave is do something that's of value, something that would help the world. So while I was practicing medicine, I had uh, discovered turpentine and oh my gosh, I had used it in my medical practice, all these incurable diseases people were getting better from. It was just amazing. So I landed in the middle of nowhere with basically no, as they say, no prospects. I said, let me do that. Let me just do that. Let me see if I can find a way to bring turpentine to the awareness or consciousness of the world. Now, just to let you know how important uh, turpentine is, uh, even while I was on U.S. soil practicing medicine, this would be 1999, the Merck company, a drug company, uh, published, republished the 1899 version of the Merck manual, their 100 year anniversary. So I've been using to pretend my practice for a while. So I opened up the Merck manual. Every single disease. Turpentine is listed as the cure. <laughs> yeah. Wow. 
And how do we go from that to where we are today? Uh -huh. <laughs> Bit of a downfall. No, no, no. I, I, I observed in my practice that turpentine was curing absolutely everything. And so getting this manual was actually really verification of it. Like, yeah. oh, yeah. And also, I didn't understand. I was curious because as a kid, you know, I had uh, parents, grandparents, grandparents. So I noticed that my parents were substantially more intelligent than I was. Now, maybe it's because I was only 10 years old, but I noticed this. And I noticed that their parents were actually more intelligent than even they were. And so, like, uh, there's some deterioration going on here. And also health, right? My parents uh, were, were very middle class, and so they had insurance and this and that, whatever. And uh, their health was not nearly as good as the health of their, their parents, which was my grandparents. And so this explained it. When I observed that people who took turpentine had phenomenally better results than those who took drugs. Those who took drugs got worse. People who took turpentine actually got better and just actually went back to their state of good health. And so my observation in my medical practice and my family was confirmed by this book that I received from Merck, this drug company. And so while I was uh, overseas, I buddied up via internet uh, with a marketer and put out a document called the Candida Cleaner. And it just went viral. People initially they bought it, right? And it sold $35,000 in one week. Is that right? <laughs> exactly. Pretty good and, going. Yes, that's what I thought. Perception. Yeah, that's awesome. So, but it's the internet, right? Yeah. So a PDF, it just went viral. People stole it, posted it up for free all over the place, put up YouTube videos saying, click this link, get it for free. It was amazing. And people just started curing themselves of all kinds of things and sending me all kinds of uh, testimonials. Hey, you know, I got the, the, the doc, but it didn't pay you a penny, but just want to let you know I'm all cured from asthma, autoimmune, whatever. Yeah. And I said, wow, that's great. That's just wonderful. And then I tried for a while to recapture a control over the document and to sell it. And my original marketer that I was working with, once we made 35,000, we said, okay, fine, we split it down the middle, half yours, goodbye, half mine. I said, whoa, whoa, how about a follow-up, like 35,000 next week? I mean, you know, can we continue this? He said, no, 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 no. I'm going to Hawaii to eat raw fruit. These are raw foods. And so here I was on my own, no marketing skills. And so, but I was inspired. And so I've worked uh, tirelessly since then to continue to help people understand the benefits of turpentine. Such an amazing story. It really is. You had such an experience. And while you were telling me that story, you were um, saying how they're investigating you and they're going to, well, they took your medical license away. It's oh, almost yeah. like, um, I want to see the doctors who lose their license, like, because <laughs> they're obviously doing things that are really helping people or challenging the status quo. They're probably the ones you do want to end up seeing. Like, look at guys like Tom Cowan and Andrew Kaufman. They give back their medical degrees because they realize exactly. what's going on. Exactly. Like, they're the doctors you want to be seeing, right? Not only that, the thing you need to understand is if a doctor is licensed uh, in the United States, I don't know what country you're in. Um, you seem to have a bit of an accent, but in the United States, there's an electronic medical record. Literally, 
But before you even get home, the government is in possession of everything you said and did at that medical visit. So they really should read you your Miranda rights. You know, anything you say can and will be used against you. In a, not only in a court of law, but in writing the prescriptions, right? Because we know the drugs are deadly. So everything you tell your doctor is used against you. First, to poison you and destroy your health. And second, it's accessible to uh, a spouse in divorce or custody proceedings, right? It's, it's accessible to the government just for surveillance purposes. It's sold to the drug companies. Anybody who wants to know, <clears throat> except you, <laughs> gets to see your records. So if your doctor is licensed, then you are under surveillance. And they tell you, oh, you know, delete your Facebook. And really, your surveillance is right there at the doctor's office. Yeah. And yeah. they and um, the doctor is under surveillance, right? So he has got to give you the protocol that creates that 20%, 20%, 20% split. So he's mm-hmm. got to give you the drugs that make you sick so you need the hospitals and they get their cut. And it keeps you fearful so you buy insurance and they get their cut and so on. It's a pretty crafty system they've devised, isn't it? Well, they spent a lot of uh, years and time thinking about it, yes. Yeah, yeah. And um, do you think they've been planning to get to this point now where we are because we're sort of under this medical tyranny? Oh, no, no, no. They planned far more than this. This is just, uh, how can I say? This is an intermediate step to the big boys. <laughs> yeah, 100%. So what they've been selling since I, uh, so I left medical school in 1983. And around about 1990-ish, they were telling us doctors that in order to have continuity of care and safety and blah, 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 people needed a medical ID that they kept on their body at all times so it could just be scanned. And uh, whoever's treating them next would have all this information. Now, mind you, when you register to see a doctor in the United States, and people don't even think about it, they just fill out this. You fill out everything in private detective would want to know about you, right? Your name, your dress, your phone number, your spouse, your kids, your next of kin, do you have pets, do you own a gun, where do you keep it? All of these, your social security number, uh, where do you work, what's your job title? Mm. You know, all of this information that really isn't relevant to your blood pressure, you know? Yeah. <laughs> or your yeah. arthritis. <laughs> so all this stuff would be on that chip as well. Wow. And so they've been trying to market and sell this implantable device with all of your medical records on it. And so through the port of medical authority and people's belief in medicine, they are bringing in this universal tracking, universal surveillance system. That's really where things are going. Mm, That's pretty scary. Not not there yet. I don't know about scary, but uh, I I don't think it's scary because it's so easy to avoid. Just don't see a doctor. <laughs> don't when you know health. about it, it's easy to avoid. But a lot of people are in that trap, aren't they? They don't see it. That's their business. They're adults and they have a responsibility to inform themselves. But for those who do know, all you have to do is take action. And the action that you take will protect you. So you don't need the rest of your family to be on board, so to speak. You don't need the rest of your neighborhood to be on board, so to speak. Mm. Uh, you know, so for me to escape the system, I don't need to convince my children or my mother or my siblings. And it's people's need, their belief that they need to bring the rest of the world with them mm-hmm. that is actually holding them back and preventing change from happening. So if each person said, okay, what is my level of awareness? What is my level of knowledge? Let me act on that. 
that it would be like herding cats and the system would collapse and fail. But as long as each person says, oh, I can't act on my knowledge until I convince 20 other people, then what you have is guaranteed gridlock and no change. So it's exactly the opposite of what they tell you. So they tell you, well, when a certain number of people change, then uh, you can be free. No, 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 no. You can be free whenever you decide to be free. 100%. I agree with yeah. that. Do germs cause disease? That's a good question. The answer is yes and no. So the problem with our mind as humans and the way we've been programmed, we've been programmed in a very, uh, to borrow from the LGBTQ people, binary way. So the same germ can heal you and the same germ can harm you and can kill you and can compost you once you're dead. So that's the way the body is designed. So you have a, ger a germ, we'll call it staph, right? So everyone's heard of MRSA, that's methicillin-resistant Staphylococcus aureus. That's a hospital-acquired infection resistant to all antibiotics that kills people. That's what we're told. What's the truth? The truth is, staph is a common bacterium that colonizes your skin and actually protects your skin. Healthy people have it all over their skin. And when you add antibiotics, your body literally buddies up with the bacteria to protect this bacteria because they're what protects the skin. And when you get a cut, literally, these bacteria knit together with your immune system to form the scab that creates the healing environment. This is the way it is. But when you can convince someone to declare war on their own body and take anti against biotics, life, which is how do you take an anti-life pill and expect to live, right? <laughs> yeah, it's called antibiotics, yeah. right? Anti-life So uh, the same bacteria under certain circumstances can um, keep you healthy, can get you healthy once you've been harmed or become ill, and can uh, eat up dead tissue in your body for recycling. And so to say, is it the germ theory, is it terrain theory, misses the whole life cycle of these microbes. And so what I say is a baby is born with bacteria on board that will help him grow, maintain his life, and eat him up and compost him when he dies. That's the fact. Mm. And so when you look at that, you say, well, it's the terrain theory or it's the germ theory, you can kind of throw them both out. Interesting perspective. Like <laughs> well, that's why I'm here. That's why you have me on, right? <laughs> oh, I like it. Uh, I like hearing new new theories. I haven't really thought about it that way before, so it's, it's good. Yeah, but that's the point, by the way. It's not for you to agree with me or disagree. That's irrelevant. But to get people thinking, you know, and say, hey, wait a minute. That's a different way of thinking. And maybe you'll think of a fourth thing that might not be the germ theory, the terrain theory, or the life cycle theory. I don't know. But the point is, I think, for people to have their thinking simulated and for people to become not like sheep, but more like cats, where each person says, I have a right to my thoughts, I have a right to my opinion, I have a right to my actions, and bam, go and take action, even if other people might not be taking the same action. 
So you mentioned bacteria. What about viruses? Same thing. Same thing. Ditto. Okay. Ditto. Is there a virus making people sick? No. That they can catch? No. Is there anything for us to protect against? Yes. You have to guard against um, doomsday negative thoughts. You have to guard against food, food with no nutritional value. Uh, you have to guard against holding waste in your body and not allowing it to flow through. Absolutely, that's what you need to guard against. Yeah. You know, it's really interesting that you say those things because they're really simple and almost self-explanatory in a way. And my background, I'm, I'm a naturopath and I've done lots of training in natural medicine. and I've been pondering about disease and, and wellness for a long time. And I've always known inside my heart that good diet, lifestyle, healthy mind, getting out in the sun, getting some exercise, just really basic things are the key to good health. But I never really truly believed it until two years ago when I saw medicine overplay their hand. And I was like, exactly. I thought these guys had something over me, but actually they have nothing over me. I feel embarrassed for the medical profession right now exactly been going exactly. on the last two years now so the last two years let let's well you know, let me yes. introduce this bizarre thought to you yeah. it has not been the last two years it's certainly been ever since i was in medicine which would be 1979. Yeah. so this has been going on uh for a long time probably since now, the 20s because right? last... that was huh? the flexner report when the flexner report that's 1911. 1911. but 1911 was when it started but the population of at, at large, again, I'm from the United States, so I know the U.S. history. I don't know the world history. But the, the breaking point in the United States was 1965 when the government got involved by creating government insurance programs and forcing people to use the system. As long as the system was voluntary, it didn't have any traction. Mm. But once the government created Medicare for the old folks, okay, if you do it our way, then you don't have to pay for it. Never mind all this money you're paying in taxes up until whatever. And never mind that um, Medicare and Medicaid can be shown to be extermination programs. In other words, once you sign up for Medicaid, which covers um, nursing home care, for example, in the United States, once you go into a nursing home, 50% of those entering a nursing home will be dead in six months. What is that but a kill program, extermination program? So you have government financed, government regulated, government approved, because all these nursing homes are licensed, uh, kill program, right in plain view. But what people see, because they've been programmed to look at money only is, well, is it free? Yeah, it's free. You know, separate this way to the gas chamber, it's free. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, so, pretty much. Right, and now we have another crisis, which is that people have not been having uh, five children, or six. I think six is a better number. Myself, I'm guilty, I only have three. But six is the magic number. If you have six kids, one of those kids is gonna take care of you in your old age. When I say take care of you, I don't mean give you a dollar. Let's say you're, you're fabulously wealthy. One of those kids is gonna take an interest and at least hire the help that you need, Make sure your money is used to pay for your personal comfort. And of course, when you die, keep the change, which is who cares? You're dead. You can't use it anyway. But so now we have, uh, I'm the baby boomer generation, and we are the first generation that has basically no children, you know, under that five mark. 
And so we don't have anyone to take care of us. It doesn't matter how much money we earn. You could be a multimillionaire. The point is, there are not enough younger people to even employ mm. because you didn't give birth to them, right? Women thought this abortion thing was just the greatest thing since sliced bread, getting an abortion. But what they really aborted was their true social security in their old age. Oh. We've really done, done a bit of a number on ourselves, haven't we? Well, but people have allowed that to happen. Um, you know, we can try to communicate with the younger generation of people age, I would say, you know, 15 to 40, who still have a chance to turn things around and let them know that money is great. But but if what you want to buy doesn't exist, it's, it limits it, you know. <laughs> mm. So um, that's that's the crisis that we are facing. And people foolishly are thinking oh, I can just have the government pay for my care in my old age, but if you haven't even given birth to the people that the government would pay, then what's the government really going to do? They're going to do what they're doing. They're going to give you a free health care program that exterminates you at the rate of 50% in six months. And people think it's a health care system. Absolutely. Absolutely. A death care. In fact, in fact, back in 1970... 79, 78, 77. I was at Harvard. I was a student at Harvard. And everyone knew I wanted to go to medical school, you know. And it seemed pretty obvious to my classmates that I was going to make it. So uh, the thing about being black in America prior to 1965 was there was so much segregation that blacks totally did not buy into any of the fantasies of the day. They just didn't. They weren't buying it. Okay. So 100% of my classmates were all born before 65. And so not everybody made the mind shift in 1965 of, oh, that American dream, that fantasy is for me. Let me uh, brainwash myself and go to sleep and join the masses in this fantasy. Okay, so this kid, I don't know how he got into Harvard, but anyway, he had not properly gone to sleep. He said to me, he says, you know, uh, this uh, Medicare stuff it's just an extermination program. Just ext they're just killing old folks and exterminating them. And that Medicaid program for the poor people, they're just killing poor people. I said, you know what? That sounds really interesting, but I'm sure that, you know, I'll learn about that in medical school or I'll find out about that. They looked at me like, who walked away? I don't think he ever talked to me again. I don't even know his name. I don't even remember who it was. But this person said that to me. I'm like, hmm, conspiracy theorist. Mm. Mm. And now it's 43 years later. And this is why I don't consider myself a genius. <laughs> People say, oh, Dr. Daniels, he's, a, he's so arrogant. He's like, yeah, like you know stuff. No. <laughs> no. <laughs> if I was truly a genius, I would have said to that guy, sit down and tell me more. <laughs> exactly. Yeah. But no, it's like I took a 40, uh, you know, 42-year detour. But that's the journey that you're on, and you wouldn't be here doing what you're doing no, now if you didn't go that way. That's not the point. That's not what I'm saying. What I'm saying to the audience is they should not feel inferior to me. They should not feel uh, self-conscious or be ashamed of their journey. Yeah. They should continue 
to seek knowledge, seek information, and grow. That's what I'm trying to say. I'm not saying oh, I shouldn't have taken my journey. I had a lot of fun. It's interesting. So but what I am saying is the real solution to what might appear to be dire information is to continue to get more information. And as you get more and more information, you'll actually come out the other side to find that all these problems, supposedly problems, are easily solved within your grasp. It doesn't take millions of dollars to solve it. So for example, uh, when things were at my, at, this is the worst, all right? Negative uh, $270,000 $270, net worth. Living in the United States, I had one teenager at home and two had gone off to college. I told them not to go. I said, look, I went to Harvard. I can tell you it's a waste of money. Just don't do it. But they went and did it. Uh, and my monthly expenses were $3,000 a month. And I could not get it below that. Property taxes alone were uh, 300 plus a month. And then there was food and whatever. And so here I am now in a country where my rent is $400 a month, where, yeah, everything is imminently, extremely affordable. Life is very easy. Uh, people meet you and they say hello. They don't worry if you're going to lower their social status by them uh, being 12 feet away from you or something. Um, so, oh, I have no health insurance. I don't go to the hospital. I don't get any screening done. And I'm 65 years old, right? Pretty good health. So what I'm trying to communicate to people is life is much easier than they had ever imagined, number mm -hmm. one. Number two, whatever problem that they think they have, they can easily solve it. The solution is easily at hand. They just have to find it and, and act on it. Mm -hmm. So, you know, I, I hope that people are encouraged. Yeah. Yeah. That's, and that's really important, that message, because I think as people start to wake up a little bit more, they might get a bit discouraged because they learn. Oh, it's terrifying, stuff. terrifying. When I woke up just a little on. bit, found out that I've been trained to be a, a mass murderer. That was, that was very distressing. And like I said, three months of sleepless nights and, you know, and then, you know, one thing after another. But the process of waking up, while you're going to have moments of total terror, the reason you have these moments of total terror is because you're still holding on to beliefs that are that are uh, false. And so if you can say, okay, fine, why am I afraid? Well, I'm afraid because uh, I realize I'm doing this bad thing. I think that uh, if I stop doing it, I'll lose my income and I won't be able to replace my income, right? So that, that's really where, that, where the fear came from. But what happens is, when you go with what you think is right and the available information, it's like, okay, fine. Don't let go of it. I don't have any income. All right. That's that. Mm. You realize that, first of all, one, your $3,000 a month expense tab was totally unnecessary. Two, you can make more than enough money to handle what are the things that you require to be happy. And finally, you don't have to comply with stuff that you feel is wrong. And I guess that's another reason why we're in this position at the moment is because everyone's just complying and they haven't found that sort of inner strength to go, actually, you know what? I'm not cool with this. And I'm not going to go along with it. I think everyone's How about just the inner weakness. How about the inner weakness? I say yeah. find your inner weakness. In other words, 
You're going to ask me to stand six feet away, get stabbed with a needle every three months, uh, you know, wash my hands every five minutes, uh, spray poisonous hand sanitizer. I can't keep up with all that stuff. <laughs> you know, come on. <laughs> That's so how I you say, stay healthy, right? No, no. If you can't find your inner strength, look for your inner weakness. In other words, what is it about complying that's inconvenient or unaffordable? Look at it that way. So, okay, fine. Ain't nobody got time for that. Just let it go. So I say, when you can't find your inner strength, no problem. Find your inner weakness. That's cool. I like that. <laughs> what causes disease? And I always spoke a little bit about that earlier, just briefly. But what is the cause of disease and can we heal disease? Do you believe that we can cure so ourselves? Five causes of disease, just five. Okay. How about that? Super like simple, right? Three thousand, like medicine says. <laughs> so, dirty water, or not enough water—that'd be dehydration. Malnutrition. You're not eating the food that uh, humans are designed to eat in terms of nutrition, right? Uh, Eating poisons, poisonous chemicals, not dumping poisonous chemicals, I mean, there's constipation. And finally, trauma. Someone hit you in the head with a baseball bat, like that Sager guy. <laughs> that's that's it. The only cause of illness. That's it. So if you're sick, the cure, the cure. One of those five things. <laughs> Maybe you're getting hit to have the baseball bat every day. You need to stop it. Maybe you're not drinking enough water, or maybe the water you're drinking is filthy. Maybe you're swallowing poisons every single day, or maybe you're not pooping out enough stuff on a steady basis. How many of, how many of those things did you get taught about in medical school? They mentioned dehydration, but the other ones were not mentioned. Wow. So they were, they were not giving you any real training in health or how to cure disease? None. 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 It's just, none. It, it's mind blowing to think that the system is being created so well that people don't want to go and listen to an alternative practitioner because they're a quack. They want to go to the mainstream guy who actually knows nothing about health or disease. Not a thing. No, no, it's worse than that. You're, 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 you're missing the real target here. This guy who's been trained, who's board certified, is a certified trained killer, and you're the target. Yeah. This is, this is beyond, oh, he's just ignorant. Uh-uh, uh-uh. And as far as dehydration goes, we were taught the only way to hydrate somebody is with a needle in their arm, yeah. intravenously. What, have them drink water? Or have them drink the same solution you're pouring into their veins? Oh, no, no, not allowed, not allowed. Yeah. I guess you're right. They have been trained, trained that way, haven't they? It's kind of. Um... You know, if you're serious about your health, the last thing you want to do is get health insurance. The last thing you want to do is go see a doctor. And even if in a moment of weakness you do go see a doctor, for God's sake, pay out of pocket. You will quickly stop consuming health care. Like whoa, 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 ten thousand dollars. Whoa, back up, back up. <laughs> yeah, and you know, I've never really understood the whole health insurance thing. Because oh. if, if preventing d disease and curing it's so easy, because I think you've said you've cured all sorts of yeah. 
conditions before that supposedly you can't do anything about with medicine. But um, right. when it's that easy, there shouldn't be all this health insurance and all these drugs and all these hospitals and everything because um, people really should be able to remain relatively healthy. But there's all these yeah, other things. Or shouldn't there? You're missing. A, you're, you're okay. So let me tell you, fill you uh, in here. Yeah, yeah. Tell me, tell me. <laughs> <laughs> Do people go to Disney World because they think it's real? No. Why did they go to Disney? It's fun. It's interesting. It's exciting. It's fun. You see new things. It's different. You go here, you stand in line. Maybe it'll be a minute, maybe an hour. Then you go over there, and that's beautiful. And this is this color. And that's that color. Oh my God, look at this thing. It's been so And so, what has happened is, Healthcare has become that. It's become a vehicle for people to have meaning in their lives. Mm. So you don't buy health insurance to be healthy. Mm-mm-mm-mm. You buy health insurance to show you're a responsible person. Yeah. You add your spouse to health insurance to show that you love them. So you take someone to the doctor to show that you care. So this, what has happened is healthcare slash health insurance has become the vehicle of meaning for people's lives. I want, I, I've just had a baby. I want to make sure it's healthy. I'm going to go to the doctor. He'll examine my baby, let me know it's healthy, and then inject him with stuff to make him sick. So now I have to bring the baby back in six months. And the doctor is basically like paid caring, is the perception. So everyone needs some drama in their life, just human nature, right? You know, whether you're going to play dominoes, whether you're going to submit to healthcare and surgery and needles and cutting and probing and whatever, it's a matter of choice. Or whether you're going to do that or take a walk around the block or travel and do a trip or whatever. This is people living their life, experiencing the world, and existing on this earth. And so if people can understand that the healthcare industry is created to, as a form, like Disney, of entertainment, to, to take people's time, to occupy them, to fill them with a sense of meaning, and of course, get paid in the process. Then they can put it in perspective and say, okay, is that the way that I want to create meaning in my life? Do I want to go to a doctor and have him reach into my vagina? Or do I want to have an affair with the guy next door? You know, what do you want to do? How do you want to do this? So if people can understand that that's really what's going on, mm-hmm. then they can say, you know what? I don't like needles, but I do like this thing over there. I'm going to go do that thing over there. Or they're going to say, well, 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 I don't want to give my money to the government that they spend on health care because I might want a different kind of entertainment. And so I want the freedom to spend my dollar on whatever entertainment I want to. So they can understand that the present healthcare system as it is, as as it exists, is simply another form of entertainment on par with Disney. Mm. And in fact, I might say Disney's a little bit ahead of them. I don't think anyone's being killed at Disney. If they can understand that, then they can decide, you know what? The health insurance premiums, I'll just go go to Disney. Take a week at Disney World. And then I'll have enough excitement from going on the rides and up and down and spinning around and and I'll ready to go back to regular life and just kind of (laughs) relax and calm down. Didn't have to have surgery. Didn't need the eight-week recovery period. Didn't need, you know, the needles. So the problem, though, is people 
have not built into their life acts of caring and kindness. Even worse, those acts have been outlawed, actually. So if you pick up a four-year-old kid, throw them over your shoulder, pat them on the back, and obviously this hand holding their butt, you know, so they don't fall. Like, oh, wait, that's child abuse. You must be a pedophile. Yeah. You know, so what's happened then is people have been put apart. And the only way to be touched is to go to the doctor and be touched. Right. Yeah. Gee, yeah, sort of even making my perception of medicine even worse than I thought it could be. So thank you. <laughs> so oh, you want to even go further? I thought, I thought my perception was pretty, you know. Oh. <laughs> well, so I, I do have those thoughts in the back of my head, but I don't often sort of, I don't know. So you want to read this. So I thought that I was pretty radical. And then I started reading this stuff from 70 years plus ago. So this is a lady called Jane Roberts. And spirits from the other dimension communicate through her. And so Jane Roberts, this spirit that's communicating through her is called Seth. And Seth talks about pandemics. And when Seth gets through talking about pandemics, you're like, oh my. But the present pandemic has played out every single thing that Seth said. This was 70 years ago. So it's Jane Roberts, space, Seth, and talk about pandemics. And basically what he says is people who die during pandemics are people whose lives have reached the point where they're ready to die and they would like to die but have meaning with it. And so they want to be labeled as having the pandemic and dying. Mm. And this for them is a graceful out. They don't have to commit suicide. They don't have to become homeless, but it's a graceful way to end their lives. And he talks about the other social purposes and social role that the pandemic plays. And every pandemic in history has been this way. For example, all of us know about uh, the plague, right? As far as we know, the plague killed all these people. Oh. Well, the plague still exists today, but it's not killing anybody. What happened? Better sanitation. Leprosy. They had leper colonies, right? People had leprosy, their body parts were falling off. Oh, it's terrible. We still have leprosy, but uh, somehow it doesn't seem to be spreading, not a problem. And so all of these pandemics follow the same uh, pattern and have the same purpose and have the same trajectory. And I was pretty skeptical about this. So a lot of us hear about the um, flu of 1918, right? Killed all these people. And so, I went to medical school, so I was trained in scientific method and how you prove this and prove that, whatever. Like, okay, the flu. Did they isolate the virus? No, they didn't. Was there a test for the virus? No, they one. How did they know it was a virus? How did they know it was a flu? <laughs> they didn't. So, uh, yeah, Jane Roberts, Seth on pandemics. Now, another form of censorship on the internet is I told someone to look, at, look up Seth on pandemics. If you look that up, you'll get 20 entries, none of them of which is the proper one by Jane Roberts channeling the spirit, right? And so one piece of censorship is when you type in what you want to know about, they bombard you with everything but the information you're seeking. So you can still find it if you put Jane Roberts in front of Seth on pandemics. Thank you. I'm going to check it out. Um, yeah. It's like I said, gotta be sitting down when you listen to it, and you're gonna say, "Oh, it can't be." And then Nothing you surprises me anymore, though, you know. Exactly. <laughs> and it's good 
at your young age, nothing surprises you anymore. So that's good. <laughs> very good. An open mind, the key, the key. Definitely, open mind is very important. Uh, why is turpentine so good at healing? Because turpentine uh, works with your body's immune system. It doesn't overpower it. It doesn't change it. It works with it. It also works with the parasites. So a lot of what's making people sick is living organisms are in their body that the body would like to get rid of. And their body is retaining these. So the turpentine, once it enters, it communicates with these organisms and the organisms are like, whoa, time for me to leave, I'm out of here. So that's one thing. It actually gets the disease-causing agents to leave the body, which is why the improvement from turpentine is so dramatic and uh, long-lasting. So that's one thing. The next thing is these organisms, by their very presence, have damaged cells. And many cells in your body are not functioning because they're damaged. They're, they're kind of, they're not dead, but they're not functional either. And they're kind of trying to repair themselves. What turpentine does is it actually goes in and repairs those cells. And this is why many people, when they use turpentine, they actually feel better within like 30 seconds. Because That's the cells are immediately being repaired. Also, turpentine does not follow, uh, or doesn't travel along blood vessels. It's a solvent. It literally crosses over blood vessels, lymphatics, nerve cells. It literally spreads the, through the body without regard to the blood circulation, which gives it incredible uh, power. Um, it also has electrical properties. So literally, you can put turpentine in your mouth. And because of the electrical properties, you can actually feel benefit down to your toes. So it's all these, yeah, amazing. Yeah, yeah, uh, stuff. Yeah. So that report that people uh, that I published back in 2010 is now available free on my website. Just go there, get it free. Go there, enter your email address. It's vitalitycycles.com. And the report is the Candida Cleaner Report. And that's the one that everyone has been using and getting remarkable results with. Exactly. Wow. And with the turpentine, um, what sort of things are you able to treat? Is this every condition or are there a set sort of number of conditions or series of conditions which benefit better than others? Okay, so uh, there's five causes of illness, right? Yep. So obviously, if you're dehydrated, turpentine doesn't add water, right? If you're severely malnourished, it has no nutritional value, right? If you have toxins, it gets those toxins and uh, parasites to leave. And if you have damage to cells, it repairs those. So that's why the report is so important. It tells you how to hydrate yourself. It tells you how to improve your nutrition. So now when you take turpentine, bam, it will be an amazing uh, positive experience. And because it's working on that detoxification process, it's essentially healing the whole body. So there is no disease that can be not affected by it positively. Well, not only because it's detoxing, but it's repairing. Right. So you can do enemas so the cows come home, right? You're not repairing anything. You're just pulling out toxins, pulling out toxins, pulling out toxins. But what the turpentine does is it accelerates the repair process. Okay. Which is really, uh, that's just like shockingly amazing. Because by the time I discovered turpentine, I already discovered, you know, coffee enemas and supplements and blah, 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 all these things. 
and they just didn't really get the job done, you know? But once I discovered uh, the turpentine, which accelerates the repair process and gets the causative organisms to literally pack up their own bags and move themselves towards the exit, all of a sudden you can have an immune system on a scale of one to 10, maybe operating at a two, but still have healing go on because literally the parasites are participating in the healing process. Right. Okay. Yeah. Um, and is that the only sort of addition you use to good eating and getting out in the sun and working on your mind? Are there other things that you might use like supplements or is it really just a food-based and lifestyle-based approach? So supplements, so I'm, I'm really into supplements. I take a lot of supplements myself, but what I'm finding, and I'm, all, I'm always doing research, I'm always exploring, discovering new things, what I'm finding is there are certain foods, namely organ meats, that literally make the supplements not even necessary. So if I eat uh, a soup made of organ meats, and I do mean all of them, I mean the heart and the lung and the brain and the liver and the, you know, everything, testicles, all the stuff, then I have such incredible energy and mental clarity that the supplements I'm taking are not that, uh, I don't need them that day. Maybe I can take the supplements two or three days a week instead of every single day. And for the average person who's committed to supplements, that's a substantial money savings. <laughs> Especially when you consider how cheap uh, organ meats are. So I've discovered organ meats, for example. And so what I'm now discovering in this phase of my exploration is specialized foods that can heal. For example, black squid ink is filled with melanin and dopamine and reverses Parkinson's disease. I'm like, whoa, who would have guessed it? And then again, once you discover these things, then you go and look and you can find in the National Institutes of Health, uh, National Library of Medicine, there it is right there. There's the article. Saying the research has been done. Yes, this works. Yes, we have phenomenal results. But we can't tell the public yet because we haven't yet made a drug or a pill for it. So Mother Nature's essentially put everything already out there for us that we need. We don't have to go and start making new vitamins and drugs and all these sorts of things. It's already there. We just have to find it, right? You have to find it. And with the, the misinformation and the indoctrination, people are not able to find it. I would tell any parent, the best thing you can do for your child is take them out of school. I don't care what kind of school he goes to. I don't care if he goes to the $10,000 a year school, the $50,000 a year school, or the free public school. It doesn't matter. What your kid needs to understand is how you are coping with everyday problems. He needs to understand when you're hungry, what do you do? Because the school is teaching him right now that he needs to eat synthetic meat. Mm. Now, I would wager that almost any parent out there at the moment, if they want to feed their kid meat, they're going to go to the store and buy a piece of meat. So this is what's happening is the children are being um, educated to a different level of servitude, a different level of imprisonment. And so if you can just take your kid out of school and just teach him what you know about just everyday life, like, you know, when I want to get dressed, uh, I, I go here and I open this drawer and maybe I get out this piece of clothing and or maybe you want to let them know that's the washing machine, but you know, sometimes on a real hurry, I just wash it out in the sink. As opposed to the kid being trained that you send all your clothes out to a place where they fill it with chemicals and um, barcode tags and send it back to you so you can be tracked. Mm -hmm. So 
people don't even understand the value of teaching their kids what to them seems to be pretty obvious and how it really creates for that child a life of freedom and prosperity. I love that. I wish I was homeschooled. I sort of look back at all. It's okay. Just homeschool your kids. Yeah. Well, I haven't got any kids yet, so I'm probably. Uh, oh, there's a problem right there. So you're 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 creating this problem that I'm talking about, which is yeah. you're going to grow up, and at the point in your life where you need assistance, there won't be anyone to assist you because, well, they were never born. Yeah, you're so right. Because there won't be my brother and sister won't be looking after me. That's for sure. I'll be busy doing their own thing. Now, do they have kids? No. Oh my no. So well, I, I hear what step, you're saying. You can do what I'm, I'm doing. I'm picking up stray kids and adopting them. Yeah, okay. And so what I do is I pick them up and say, okay, kids, I have to take at least one parent too. Let's go to the trampoline park. We're going to have fun. Let's bake cookies. Let's do this. Let's do that. So you create a web of younger people who associate you with good times, who care about you, and who think you're important. Yeah, it's a great idea. It really is. Yeah, I did the best I could. I wanted to have six kids. I only had three. You know, whatever. Do the best you can. <laughs> Very still good, a good innings. Um, with your website, so vitalitycapsules.com, is it? No. Vitalitycycles.com. Vitalitycycles.com. Yes. Sorry. In my um, old age, I realized that life is a bunch of cycles. a bunch of cycles. <laughs> so vitality cycles. And, it, and you sell your vitality capsules through that site. Correct. And that's what people should use when they're doing your protocol, which they can also download from your website. Exactly. Now, you can also use them if you don't want to do the protocol because it uh, helps you get those three battles a day that your body needs in order to rearrange and heal itself. It also uh, gently flushes the liver every day, little bit, little bit, little bit. And it also increases your circulation throughout your body. So now your blood picks up more toxins to bring to your liver for disposal. So it's really a superior uh, overall cleansing situation, but very comfortable so you can continue your everyday life. That's fantastic. And are they things that people need to take for a long period of time, or is it sort of you're trying to achieve a certain effect and then once you've achieved that effect, that's it, or do you take them ongoing? What's your sort of thoughts? It's a choice. Okay. People, most people choose to keep taking them because as you can see, we are sitting here, and sitting is one of the major toxic things that we do, which slows our liver, slows our circulation, uh, and makes it so we accumulate toxins. And so because people have this modern lifestyle of living indoors, uh, not picking their own food, not doing a bunch of climbing, running, and jumping just as part of their everyday life, most will find they don't want to change their lifestyle, they like using cars instead of walking everywhere, Nothing wrong with that, but I'm just saying because of that, because of the stasis, the static situation in everyday lives, most people find they like to take these every day. And I've had customers who take these, have taken them for 20 years, and they love them. That's good. Yeah. Good. Now, one more thing I just like to mention to people is I have a home healers course. Okay. So a lot of people say, well, Dr. Gatos, I would stop seeing these doctors who, of course, are killing me slowly. But I want to know how to heal myself. I need to know how to heal myself so I don't have to go to them and get killed, which to me makes no sense, right? <laughs> Just stay away from them. You're going to be ahead, but whatever. So I have a home healers course where I, where I um, teach people how to use things like the black squid ink, like organ meats, like 
you know, vitality capsules, turpentine, um, different formulas for healing, and really also a special uh, module I have on how to handle home emergencies in less time than it takes for the ambulance to show up. Literally, you can intervene on that level. And so for me, I've lived this way for over 20 years, and I've, uh, as a result of that, saved hundreds of thousands of dollars. Many people don't realize how much money they're spending on healthcare, just a thousand here, a few hundred there. Um, just your health insurance premiums in the United States alone can be 20,000 a year for a family. Um, yeah, then you get into deductibles and co-pays and transportation to and from, and then they create complications and now you're spending money for the complications and then before you know it, you're disabled and your life is in this downward spiral. So for most people, they can easily realize, especially if you're in the States, under that system, they can easily realize hundreds of thousands of savings over a period of years. Okay. And that Home Healers course, is that um, like over a period of weeks or months? Or how does how do you sort of deliver that course? Um, you go to vitalicycles.com, that's where you get it. And you get it all together. You can go okay. through it as fast as you want or as slow as you want. And this is great because people can kind of scan the course and say, oh wait, I think I need to read this part right now. I need to do this is going to, I have an urgent whatever, and I can handle this right now. That's awesome. I love yeah. that idea. I'm going to check it out, actually. It sounds really interesting. Yeah, it really just, it just changes your way of seeing things. And, you know, people are, are writing me all the time emails about how it's changed your life and how things they thought were devastating, they were able to handle like that with 12 bucks instead of 10,000 bucks. And they're just like, oh my gosh. So it's, it's, it's really amazing. And the whole point is for each person to be able to live their life, to experience life here on earth in the way that they want to as positively as possible and to not have their health be the limiting factor. Giving power back to the people. Right. And again, turning people into basically a bunch of cats that can't be herded. So once you get this course, it's like no one can tell you, oh, pay more taxes, we're going to provide you health care. Like, mm, I'm good. I'm good. <laughs> uh, you're a um, pleasure to talk to, Dr. Daniels. Do you have anything that you'd like to leave our listeners with? Any final messages? Yes. I know you've just told so much amazing information. I'm so grateful for that. But if there's anything you final can like do it. You can do it. You can do it. I love yes. it. It's true. <laughs> and and intimidate you and fool you into thinking that they can make you healthy or someone else can make you healthy. Only you have the power to make yourself healthy. Absolutely. Like I'm 65 years old, untouched by medical intervention for at least 20 years. And, and wealthier and healthier for it. <laughs> yeah, thank you. You look amazing. Must be all the turpentine, hey? There's also the diet secrets. I'll give you a hint. It's the pig ears. So, uh, but if you get the course, it tells you all the secrets. Because people always ask me, how do you get that skin? And they believe that blacks have, you know, black don't crack or blacks have this genetic superiority. That's a really dumb. It's a diet. Let me tell you what it is. <laughs> and I've had white ladies 
email me back saying, oh my God, it works. Oh, my, my crepe skin is going away. Oh, this, this will get better. That's not sagging anymore. Oh, man. <laughs> it's so much fun. So it can turn a situation that's very stressful, which is maybe failing cosmetics as you age or maybe failing health, whatever, into a fun, easy experience because you know, oh, I got that. Awesome. Yeah. Well, I'm going to check it out. Um, I'll put a link to the website um in the show notes so people can check out your website and go and have a look at your home healers course and download the protocol for the turpentine um yeah yeah. thank you so much for coming and speaking to me i feel so privileged to learn from you i really appreciate (laughs) you taking the time oh you're welcome you're welcome keep doing what you're doing and um yeah i'd love to rack your brains again hopefully sometime soon because I know there's like still so many more questions that I want to ask you but um, I don't want to take too much more of your time so we'll we'll have to chat again soon okay then all right okay bye-bye all right thanks Dr Daniels bye you're welcome thanks for tuning in we hope you enjoyed the show the ideas discussed on this podcast do not replace the advice of your primary healthcare professional If you have any questions or comments, head on over to humanly.com forward slash podcast and join the discussion. Don't forget to follow us on social media. Until next time.